Entrepreneurs know some of the most challenging times when starting a business are at the beginning. At Genesis, they've harnessed all that beginning excitement into the first ever electrified GV70, featuring the silhouette of a coupe and the capability of an SUV. Learn more at Genesis.com. Genesis, keep beginning. Hi, everyone. I'm Rachel Zoe, and you're listening to Climbing in Heels. This show is all about celebrating the most extraordinary superwomen who will be sharing their incredible journeys to the top, all while staying glamorous. Today with me, we have interior designer, author, chef, and the founder and CEO of iSwoon, the beautiful Athena Calderon. In this episode, Athena talks about leaning into what brings her joy, falling in love, and putting her career on hold and seeing the world through a different lens. I'm so excited for you all to listen to this episode. It's a really good one, and you will learn a lot and take away a lot and hopefully feel a little more confident in your superpowers. I can tell you that the common thread of the countless women that I have had incredible conversations with, none of the journeys have been easy. (laughs) None of them have been sort of this beautiful blueprint of the plan of life. And like by no, and like by 25, I'm going to do this. And by 28, I'm going to do this. And by 31, I'm going to be on my third child and start my second company and like all this stuff. So what I like to sort of get into, what I like to talk about is Definitely want to start first. So you grew up in Long Island. I know this, right? I did. Not not too far from you, I guess. Okay. A little bit of a world away. I was in Nassau County. Where okay. You? Yeah. I grew up in Short Hills in New Jersey. We used to call it wow. Short Thrills. And, you know, everyone here in LA is like, what's that? I'm like, it's Brentwood in New Jersey is really what it is. <laughs> Actually. I don't know why. I thought you grew up in Long Island as well. Everyone does. Everyone does because... We never did anything in New Jersey. We never went to the shore. Since the day I was born, we went to the Hamptons. We went to Amagansett. And my parents were New Yorkers. So I think it was sort of this place that we lived, but we didn't really exist that much. Like I went to school there, but we didn't have such a life there. We were like always in the city. I was always at museums and theater. My parents are culture freaks. So I think people just think either I grew up in New York or Long Island because that's just sort of where I always was, you know, and that's where most of my friends are, honestly. So you grew up on Long Island and what kind of child were you? Were you like this outgoing, magnetic, charismatic, like dream big kind of girl? Or were you like in the corner, super shy and like, like... I mean, it's kind of funny. I, I lived in fantasy world. I was a big dreamer. Uh-huh. I was like a very much of a girly girl. Okay. My parents were both hairdressers. I grew up in the hair salon and I grew up around a lot of colorful people, Mm -hmm. creatives, Mm -hmm. you know, loved living in this like fantastical world. And But it wasn't a fancy world, right? More like an artsy creative. I did not grow up fancy at all. My parents, we didn't grow up with any money. We were kind of lower class, but happy. I was going to say, but happy. Happy and imaginative. And my family was a little chaotic. Yeah. And it wasn't as, like as the, they are, as everyone. Yeah, as they are. <laughs> but, you know, big Italian American family, lots of energy, lots of, you know, coming together around the table, lots of loud, boisterous expression mm-hmm. always. And food. I was always the youngest. Food. A lot lots of, food. of food. A lot of food. <laughs> yeah. So I would hide out in my rooms and play make-believe all the time. I was an absolute dreamer. I was always like ready to try something, you know, creative on, mm-hmm. but I did, as I grew up, start to develop this strange insecurity that almost carries through to the day right now yeah. that like, I didn't know what my thing was. Okay. I would always try something, whether it was, you know, I'm talking about really young, like dancing or sure. gymnastics. And I don't know, I always had this kind of like chaotic and creative spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And I never quite knew where it would land sure. and it started to feel shame surrounding the ping ponging of trying lots of creative things without anything sticking. Okay. Which is um, very common, by the way, and interestingly common on this podcast. So very interesting. interesting. I know. Yeah. I know a lot of people are like, I couldn't find my way. I couldn't figure it out. I wasn't a student. 
I tried a million things. Oh, I wasn't you know? a student. I wasn't a good student. I <laughs> so really, I, I definitely had ADD, but nobody right. like figured that out right. yet. No one ever talked um, about but that. I loved to write and I loved like art class and I threw myself into like dance and, you know, was on a dance team in high school. And, you know, that was kind of what gave me discipline was okay. dance. Okay. And then again, I wasn't a good student. I didn't know what I wanted to study in college. And I just like, I bopped around to multiple different schools and colleges mm-hmm. as well. And I studied dance. I knew I wasn't good enough to be successful at dance. I so thought hard. I wanted to do fashion. And, you know, I just was all over the place and I exhausted myself, but I was still happy. Right. But I was just like, I was a bit of like a creative chameleon. Sure. Whoever I was around or my boyfriend was, you know, he yep. was a dancer. So then I was a dancer. Like I didn't have the this like stake in the ground of who I was and what I wanted from this world. So what I did was I just started to try everything that interested me. And even though there was shame around it, I started to realize that each of these interests were kind of, I was self-educating sure. and formulating sure. my interests. Yeah. And I never knew where they would land. And I always felt a little defeated when they didn't materialize into what I thought quote unquote success was. And at this point you were like what in like 2020, like in your twenties, right? Yeah. I was 1920 when yeah. I moved to Manhattan after going to a couple of different colleges and nothing sticking. And, and I you feel so insecure, right? At that point, so because everyone, I, I feel like when we grew up, there was such, if you didn't go to college, like it was such a thing. And and what's so funny is that I'm going to argue to say that at least 50% of the women I've had on the podcast did not go to college, barely graduated high school. I like to talk about education a little just because I like to touch on it because I really stand by that our education really doesn't define who we are in any way. And I think it's, you know, listen, I think some people really lean on it and it really serves them mm-hmm. in their lives. And I just think so many people don't go to college or do choose their own path in their educational journey. And I think it's sort of like, I mean, listen, I always say I learned more in my first week of work than I learned in four years of college. Not that I'm against college for everybody, but I just think that conversation is getting more and more relevant, you know? Yeah. I mean, what's interesting though, is it really was a wound for a really long time. I felt inarticulate. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I had, like, I just didn't feel studied. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I carried myself with wisdom and with confidence. And I thought that the cure to that was an education and was was college. Cause it's 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 the box you didn't check, right? It's the box I didn't check. Exactly. Exactly. But I will say this, education has in some way been the thing that helped me find myself, Uh but not in a traditional sense, Sure. not a college education, but self-education. Sure. And if I didn't dive down the rabbit hole of discovery in the culinary space and in the design space Mm -hmm. and teach myself the things that I was most passionate about, I wouldn't feel confident in what I do now. And that wound almost continuously to this day makes me have this moment of pause. Right. When any opportunity is offered to me, it's almost like, because I still come from a little bit of that wounded place, I I over compensate. compensate and I over educate and I over prepare mm-hmm. because not that I'm trying to prove something to sure. the client no, it's or to yourself. You know, it's to myself. Of course. Of course. So I feel like I've used a bit of my insecurity to help me gain my own confidence and my own knowledge. And that gives me more pride than if I would have gone to college. A hundred percent. And I want to talk about that for a second because it's funny. I did go to college and get a formal education and the whole thing. And it's funny because that insecurity is definitely something that I carry as well. And I think throughout my entire career, I over-prepare for everything. And I actually was on a podcast talking about that. And he asked me, how do you feel about being prepared? And to Mm -hmm. your point, I think that when you are trying to still prove to yourself, right, it's that don't get complacent, don't get overconfident, Mm -hmm. overprepare because you have to crush this. You have to crush everything you do, right? But you educated yourself. And I think it's sort of like that education in ultimately in the fields that you love, I mean, 
it is an education, right? You're doing your education every single day. I mean, and I would argue. And now you're teaching other people and people are learning from you, which is so amazing. I always want to be the student and the teacher. Sure. Like I love to share all of the tools and all of the information I've amassed over time because I think that people are sometimes too tight with their quote unquote, like career proprietary knowledge. And I'm like, I want everyone to enjoy a meal like I do or set a table. Like I want to teach people their own tools, maybe through the lens of some of the principles I've learned over, over the years. So, okay. So first off, you became a mother very young, right? I did. And how old do you have a son, right? I have a son. He is 20 years old I don't right even now. Under, I don't even understand that. You look 20 <laughs> years old to me, by the way. Oh, well, thank you. Bless you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I got pregnant at 26, which isn't that No, young, it's not you that young. It's not that No, young. that's normal. It was just, for me, it happened before career. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I, I moved to Manhattan. Like I said, I was either 19 or 20. I worked at in the nightclubs at the limelight, the tunnel and the palladium, which is like just there. crazy. <laughs> I'm sure you were. Oh, I had a shaved head and a septum ring. Of course you I did. was like working my like bad girl because I was such a good girl look yep. like charcoaled eyes uh-huh. and like the septum ring and the white tank. The though. white tank. <laughs> the white tank. Yes, yes, yes. Oh my God. I could um, see that though. I like that for you. <laughs> I could see it. It was really fun. I was just trying to be like, badass because I was such a good girl, like literally. I did some modeling that didn't really work out. I went to acting school. I was studying method acting. That turned out to be amazing, Mm -hmm. but also really intense for me. I think I was just like too fragile. I've always like been this person that's like outside watching myself (laughs) and it caused me to like watch myself that much more and using your art for, you know, you know, to tap into your trauma for your art was just like, it just wasn't good for me. Sure. It, wasn't, it wasn't making me happy, but like, I felt really unaccomplished. Okay. I felt like I was living in this like beautifully dynamic city that ha- offered so many opportunities and that each opportunity I tried to grasp at or achieve or was passionate in wasn't quite panning sure. out for me. Yep. And, you know, I ended up falling in love mm-hmm. and, you know, I met Victor when I was 19 or 20, the year I moved to Manhattan. So I, you know, I'd literally like been with one teenager before I was with Victor. That is unreal. It's just crazy. And I know you probably, I'm sure we'll get to it later, but you have a similar story, which I love. But everybody says, you know, you have to find your career before you find love Mm -hmm. and you have to find your career before you have a family. And everyone believes that. And I believed that, but not true. I leaned into what brought me joy. Yeah. And career wasn't working for right. me. And I hadn't figured that out yet. But what I did figure out was my gold was my love. Sure. And my family. Yeah. And that's at a time where I was just struggling to find me. I found me and the, the joyous, jovial, happy human that I am came alive around Victor. I have such chills. I have such chills. I have such chills. Go ahead. Yeah. And having a baby, it was just like the sweetest, beautiful moment in my life where Victor was on the road traveling around the world and we had this newborn baby and we just traveled everywhere together. I just put me and career on hold Mm -hmm. and I just explored my beautiful family life and travel and seeing the world through a different lens as a mom. And all of a sudden I was like discovering architecture and design and patina and texture and flavor and all of this stuff that I was just like, my eyes were absorbing everything. My taste buds were being taken on this journey. And it was just like, I was just absorbing so much beauty. And, you know, that time of like being a mom, even though it's probably frowned upon being a homemaker, traveling the world, it's informed everything that I am today. Really, that was like the impetus of all of it. It was just this beautiful home life 
what I am now and, you know, going to culinary school and yeah. going back to design school and starting a design business and, and launching iSwoon, all of it is from the, those years yeah. of being home yeah. with my baby, Victor sometimes being on the road without me yeah. and, and just, I don't know, I was like, I was this 27-year-old woman who wasn't developing herself out in the world like most 27-year-olds were. I was developing myself under the umbrella and the safety of the home. So it was never food or design. It was never one or the other. They always happened in tandem. And it happened within like the safety of like the home. Like the home became my school. I was a psych major, so I always say, like, I just live my life as a therapist just for my friends, for myself. Uh It's how I think. It's how I'm programmed. I would say that you needed to actually be happy before you could do your life and your career. And that's sort of the thing. And what's so interesting is I was actually the reverse because I started working. I found my career, which I wasn't even really looking for. It just sort of happened. Maybe I was looking for it. I think it just all was so fast. But all of a sudden, I woke up 18 years later. I'm like oh my God, I need to have a kid. You know, it was sort of like it was all happening. And then all of a sudden- How amazing. We each have our own path. A hundred percent. And that's my point. But in the reverse of that, I was going so fast that all of a sudden Mm. I had my first son and I felt whole and complete and happy Mm. and then looked at my life in a completely different way. And to your point- you actually were like trying to find your happiness in, and you were so hard on yourself. This isn't working. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. And like, by the way, there's a lot of pain that comes along with that, right? Because you're trying these things and you're like, I suck at this. I suck at this. I suck at And yeah. we're so hard on ourselves, right? Yeah. So there's that. And then all of a sudden, it's almost like the universe was making a decision for you that you couldn't then make for yourself, right? So you fall in love, you have a baby, you're at peace, you're living your your sort of this nomadic, you know, young 20-something life rolling around with a baby. I mean, to me, that's the dream. But all of a sudden you're like, hey, this is what I'm obsessed with. This is what makes me happy. And then I swoon born out of this, right? So, So I remember, it was funny because I remember when you sent me your first book. And I knew about you because we have a lot of mutual friends. And I was like, who is this incredibly beautiful chic woman that everything she touches just looks so pretty. And I just remember like getting your book and it came with Palo Santo sticks. I remember if I remember correctly. And I just remember my boys, I was like, this is magical. This Palo Santo. So my little one just kept going around going, everyone needs Palo Santo. And he just kept, he just kept (laughs) putting it in every room and he would put it in his bed and sleep at night. And so I said, oh my God, this is incredible because every page I turned was more beautiful than the next. And then we started spending time together at things in the summer. And I was like, she is just this, her own little magical elf that kind of walks around with her fairy dust. And just, <laughs> and just you have this very sort of ballerina way about you, which is funny because I didn't know you were a dancer. I don't even know if you were a ballet dancer, but, yeah. but you have that very swan-like way in which you carry yourself. And it's so funny because I remember we, we went to this beautiful dinner, Zimmerman dinner a couple summers ago. And I said, yeah. that was the prettiest dinner ever. It got me like excited to do my next thing. And mm-hmm. I just remember afterwards realizing that you were the magic behind a lot of that setting. And Malcolm's like, well, Athena did that. I was like, okay, now everything makes sense <laughs> to me. And I remember every aspect of it. And so I think, you know, once you started this whole business, so that was probably what, like 10, 12 years ago, right? 2011, I think you started, 2011 right? 2011, I started, yeah. And it was really just a way for me to kind of share a lot. It was right after our first summer out in the Hamptons yeah. and I'm against it. And I had this like wealth of like knowledge about just doing my own renovation of yep. like a, a home from top to bottom. And I was also hosting in my home and like, creating recipes and friends were asking for recipes and design advice. And I was like, you know what, let me just like write all this down for sure. my friends yeah. on a Tumblr page. Yeah. So it was really Tumblr. like, it was wow. really, I know, wow. Tumblr. Wow. <laughs> crazy. So it really was just in some crazy way. Like if I go back and think back, you know, the things like 
I wanted to model and that never worked out. But like part of like figuring out eye swoon was also like visual identity and you know, different than modeling. Of yeah, course, yeah, of but course. Like, it was about the image and yeah. about creating an evocative image. So yeah. it was like me picking up a camera and figuring out like photography. It was so like, it was incredible. Like it was also like me figuring out, like, I love like the one thing that I loved growing up was writing in, mm-hmm. in school. But like, so it was leaning into like all the various pieces of myself that I thought were irrelevant, mm-hmm. that weren't accumulating to somewhere. Mm-hmm. It was almost like I soon became this container to hold of all of them. It was like everything in the home that I love, plus my love of imagery, plus my love of writing. And I was like, I finally realized that I didn't have to find a singular thing to make me successful, that I can instead use all of these little moments that were leading to me. Entrepreneurs know some of the most challenging times when starting a business are at the beginning. At Genesis, they've harnessed all that beginning excitement into the award-winning GV70. And with the first ever electrified GV70, you get all that stunning design and innovative tech in an electric vehicle. The electrified GV70 features the silhouette of a coupe and the capability of an SUV. The exclusive G-Matrix grille stylishly hides the charging port. Inside, discover a driver-oriented cockpit featuring fingerprint recognition, available Napa leather, and premium navigation with a 14 and a half inch HD screen. Engage boost mode for an exhilarating 483 horsepower. And when it's time to charge, DC fast charging will give you up to 80% charge in minutes. Your Genesis electrified GV70 is waiting for you. What will you begin? Learn more at genesis.com. Genesis, keep beginning. There's nothing worse than going to a doctor's appointment, expecting to be the center of attention, and then your doctor seems like they have better things to do and clearly better places to be. Instead of listening to you intently and asking how you actually feel and helping you along, the doctor is actually looking at the clock. On ZocDoc, you'll find quality doctors who focus on you, listen to you, and prioritize your care. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. When you're not feeling when you're not feeling your best and just trying to hold it together, finding great care shouldn't take up all of your energy. That's where ZocDoc comes in, using their free app that millions of users have come to rely on. You can find the right doctor that meets your needs and fits your schedule. Book an appointment with a few taps in their app and start feeling better faster with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash Zoe and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top rated doctor today. Many are available within just 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash Zoe. ZocDoc.com slash Zoe. It's really amazing. And now I feel like you are really this hybrid of so many things. That's what's so kind of amazing. And I think, you know, when I think of you, it's home, it's entertaining, it's food, it's setting the prettiest table. And now you just did an amazing collaboration with Crate and Barrel, right? I did. Yeah. This year was a huge year. And the, the, I mean, I've always really believe in the power of manifestation. I know I'm not an LA, you know, no. LA woman, but like, I do believe in setting. You are very West coast. Can I just put that out there? You seem very West coast. You're very I mean, West you coast. Know. You're you very know. West coast. Like if you told me you lived in Venice, like by the canals, I would 100% like I buy into that. that a billion percent. So well, I do believe in, in setting intentions and, you know, years ago I set the intention to write a book and I said, I don't want to just do design or food. I want one of each. Yep. And I, I really believe that with each year or each couple of years, it's so important to like reassess what your goals are. And like, I wanted to do the books. I did the food. I, you know, I did the cookbook that won a James Beard award. I wrote the design book. That's still number one bestseller. 
And I'm so proud of those. But then it was like, okay, what what's next? Is next? Sure. Because I'm always wanting to grow sure. and expand and figure out, you know, how I can challenge myself creatively. And, you know, the Crate and Barrel collection was something that I definitely put out into the universe years ago and started to build a relationship. And I think it's really important, like, you know, as I started working together with brands, it was really important to me to like relationship building is everything, everything, everything. Everything. Like I cannot stress enough how important it is. Like I literally, I only have a team of five now Mm -hmm. in this past year, but prior to that, I had one employee. She's been with me eight years. Like it's so important to build relationships. So my point being is that Crate and Barrel, I started small building these relationships with them, working with them over the holidays to create, you know, recipe development, you know, holiday tablescapes, like just finding little ways that I could start to meet the team at Crate and Barrel. So it was to your point, things don't just like happen. They don't just happen. They don't just happen. It was you know, three solid years of doing content for Crate and Barrel. Wow. And then finally just, you know, asking, just saying like, I'd love to be considered to do, like, I saw what they did with Leanne Ford. I was blown mm-hmm. away by it. That's beautiful. There's so much about like craftsmanship and quality. And, you know, it was just something I put out there and it was really well received. And what's interesting is they wanted me to do a decorative accessories and tabletop collection. Right. Followed by a furniture collection. Okay. Uh, six months later. Right. And because I'm food and design, you were like, and I want to do it together. Things, yeah. Yeah, of course. Where those things overlap is around the table. So I was like, well, wait a minute. I can't like show my, my dinnerware on someone else's table or style the objects on someone else's sideboard. So I just, I went to them, which, you know, Sometimes you just have to be like, take a risk and like, sorry, just be balls out. Like no, I went to Crate and Barrel and I was like, I know you guys know how to roll out your collections. However, like I am the entirety of the home and I know that this would push the collection out. Yeah. You know, yeah. Six months, but would you consider just doing one holistic collection together? And that's what we did. It was 140 pieces. Jesus. It was the most beautiful. That's incredible. I mean, project. I saw it. It was, it's incredible. I mean, I lost my mind. And I also think like, listen, I know Crate and Barrel is this huge, incredible brand. I mean, I've known it since, you know, the beginning, but I feel like you just brought such incredible value and even more recognition in this sort of, you know, honestly in the chic space, I'm just going to say it in this chic and stylish place that like, I know that they want to be considered, right? Thank you. But I do, I, one thing I really want to talk about, because it kind of goes back to sort of, you know, girls asking guys out now and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I like to talk about in business because there's a lot of questions that I get about like, I don't know, I'd, I would never want to ask for this or I would never whatever. And so I want to just touch on the fact that you actually, because this is not protocol necessarily, right? And so you can sit and wait around for opportunity to fall on you, or you can Mm -hmm. say, hey, we know each other. We've already been dating, right? And I've been writing for you guys. I know the world of Crate and Barrel. Like I know, Mm -hmm. but like, guess what? I now want to do more and I think you should consider me for this. And not just do I want to do entertaining, but I actually want to do furniture and at the same time. And guess what? It worked. And I have a theory about creative people and I always have, and maybe because I am one, but I think the minute you try to stifle, control creative minds and creative people, it really Mm -hmm. limits the possibilities of what they can do. And I find that if you just empower creative talent, that's when you see the magic happen. But I think there's a lot of mistakes in that, in that space where, you know, a lot of times corporate America gets in the way and they, sorry, I love corporate America, but I think sometimes, you know, I think we all just have to own what we do, right. And what, what our strengths are and what our challenges are. And trust me, I have a laundry list of challenges and I am hyper aware of them, but (laughs) but we all do. And we're all different learners and we all have different gifts. Right. And I think that you're just yet another amazing example of not 
being this traditional learner, this traditional person that was like, oh, I'm going to run through the education system like everybody else. I'm the same kind of learner as all the other kids. And that's why I just as a parent later in life, I just constantly scream at the top of every mountain I can find that every child has their own magic. Every child has mm. their own intelligence. Every child has their own superpower. And I think it's only now that the schools and the world is starting to embrace every kind of learner and not yeah. sort of tripping them up and saying, you have to learn this. You have to learn math like this. You have to read like this. You have to write like this. That's all changing. And I think that when I listen to you and a lot of the amazing women that I've had on Climbing in Heels, so many were lost. Listen, I was not a student. I was when I tried and then I got A's and whatever, but it wasn't my calling. I didn't want it. If my parents said to me, you didn't have to go to college, you can start working. I would have a hundred percent done that. You know, a hundred percent. And if I think for them, they just sort of knew what I was capable of. So they were like, we know you can do this. So please just do this. And then you can work for the rest of your life. You know, yeah. and in hindsight, you know, I look at college as the place I grew up, right? I look at it as the place where I learned to take care of myself, but that's mm. not for everybody. And I think that conversation is getting more and more peeling back more and more layers of that conversation now with our own kids. But I think for you, I look at your success, I look at who you are, and I know that it didn't happen overnight. And I know that you've worked your ass off. And I know that there were challenges. And I think the one sort of last thing I, I want to talk to you about is sort of like, were there moments where you were like, I'm done? Like mm. sort of those moments that you tripped up and said, you woke up in tears. You're like, I can't find my way. I can't do this. None of this is working. I'm done. Right. Like, you know, and then was there that moment, contrary to that, was there the moment, if you remember it, where you were like, okay, I got this. I'm good at this. I can do this. And this is working, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I mean, I would say like just before I started iSwoon, I had this moment where like, you know, I I don't know that it was like diagnosed, but I I was depressed. (laughs) Yeah. I was definitely depressed. We've we've all. (laughs) And I would turn in inward and get really like quiet and contemplative. And Victor, you know, we've been married 24 years. And like I remember that was like the only time in our marriage that he was like, are we okay? Like what's going on? And I remember like lashing out and being like, it's not us, babe. Like you have like extreme success. And I'm still like Mm -hmm. trying to find my way and feeling really empty. And I feel like a failure. I, you know, that was a real big moment where I just couldn't figure it out. I felt trapped within the confines of my mind and I just couldn't figure out my place in this creative world. So that was like a big moment, a big moment of like self-reflection and like, yeah, Yeah. sort of like it's those moments you don't really want to get out of bed in the morning. Cause you're like, I felt guilty too, because like I had a beautiful home, a beautiful marriage, a gorgeous child. Like, you know, I also beat myself up about that as well, but it was just that like, I wanted more for me and I knew I had more to offer and I just couldn't figure out where it would land. Mm -hmm. So that was hard. And then I remember after I started I swoon, there was like a series of like moments that, you know, felt celebrated mm-hmm. finally mm-hmm. of like my house in Amagansett being published in El Decor was yeah. like a big moment. Yeah. And then we had our, our apartment in Dumbo that, you know, the dream. So gorgeous. Harper's Bazaar yeah. had done like a profile on that. And that moment when Harper's wrote this story about our Dumbo apartment, I had just launched iSwoon. I had something I felt pride in. So I kind of shared, you know, what iSwoon was. And and that culminated at the same time as Instagram launching. And there was this one moment that I only realized recently where somebody on Instagram, when I kind of was sharing uh, that I did both food and design and how, you know, the, the thread that ties them together is the umbrella of the home and how I was a mom, but I also loved fashion. And, you know, like, anyway, I was sharing all these varied Mm -hmm. parts of myself that felt chaotic maybe, but also under some some sort of unifying world. Sorry, I'm getting off topic. No, no, you're not at all. Somebody made a comment in my, like all of, you know, 500 followers on Instagram, but somebody said at that time, I love that you can represent being more than one thing. Mm -hmm. 
And all of a sudden, I don't even know who this person was. I'd love to like go back and find that <laughs> comment. But that just shifted something in me. And it made me realize that you don't have to be singular to find success. And that was the moment. And now years later, I have a podcast called More Than One Thing, which yes. I thought I like came up with on my own, but I did it because <laughs> it was kind of from that Instagram comment. I guess my point is, is like inspiration and confidence and finding yourself can come from a myriad of different places. You know, it comes from your own creativity. It comes from embracing all the facets of yourself. Sometimes in some random, like coming together of various worlds, like you can find yourself through social media. I even think that like my eye has been refined and defined further through styling and through design and through photography and through Instagram. And it doesn't always have to be from an education in college. It doesn't always have to be from, you know, I also had insecurity that I'd never came up the traditional workforce, like whether it be corporate or what, like, so. Why are we so hard on ourselves? Why is that? It's wild. (laughs) Because it's, I don't know. I like each step along my way, I've learned and I've improved and I've self-educated and I've gained confidence yeah. and I'm still on that path. You know, right after the Crate and Barrel collection, we decided to launch an e-commerce platform. Mm-hmm. And now I'm also leading into my own product development. And now I'm a marketplace and figuring out how to grow a team yeah. and run a business and, you know, understand financial models. And this is completely <laughs> new for me. And it's so foreign in a similar yes. way, the way it was when I started iSwoon, you sure. know, like, SEO was foreign to me and photography was foreign to me. I constantly push myself into these uncomfortable moments because they are, and these fearful moments. I'm like, I'm in a place right now where like, I mean, not that long ago today, I was like in tears about like, am I on the right path? Like, am I pushing myself away from my creativity to lean into this businesswoman and marketplace, it's, it's overwhelming. It's confusing. I'm making expensive mistakes. Yeah. By the way, in building a business, every freaking mistake is expensive. I can definitely say that. And a lot of women have said that on the podcast. And I think being an entrepreneur is a whole different part of the journey that goes from being you to we, and it's complicated. But I think to your point, I actually have never believed in singular. I have always believed in holistic and that's always been my approach to styling. I always called myself a lifestyle brand, never just Mm -hmm. a stylist because it's not just clothes. It's the hair, the makeup, how you carry yourself. It's all of it. It's how you entertain. It's how you live your life, right? And I think that that's what you're doing. And I just might add quite beautifully. So I'm a fan. You have so many fans. I'm so impressed with what you've built. And so many people are impressed with what you've built. And I, I also want to say that you've built success in a space that is considered to be very niche. And also, I think by doing multiple things... I think that you engage a lot of different kinds of people and a lot of different styles. And I think that what resonates so much, at least with me and people that have always resonated with me are people that I can sense their passion for what they're doing and their genuine love. It's not just like, oh, I'm doing this to make money. It's like, I'm actually doing this because I'm obsessed with what I'm doing. And I'm going to obsess over every detail. Oh, and I'm going to share how I do that, right? And I think that people, you know, Social media consumers in general, they're not dumb. And I think that people really sense the real deal and authenticity. And, you know, my husband has always really screamed that at the top of mountains is that ultimately the people that win are the people that are authentic to who they are. And, you know, and clearly, at least from where I sit, and I'm not such a, oh, I want to watch this person, I want to watch this person. Like, I fell for you because I actually just love what you do. And I just adored you. And I could tell how much you love it. And again, you have this little swan like way about you. Like I knew you were a dancer before I knew you were a dancer. I can clock dancers a mile away. It's how they stand, how they walk, how they put things down. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's so true. And thank you about saying the authenticity, because I do think that everything that I do now really was born out of this place of wanting to, I have always been about 
connectivity yeah. and community. Mm-hmm. And it's likely because I didn't have it. Like yeah, I didn't have it for a really long time in the workplace. And I also felt quite isolated as a young mom. So I always just wanted to bring people around the table to you know, I was always a people pleaser. Like I wanted to create a meal for them and share the recipe with them. I want to learn and I want to push it back out into the world. And that is at the core of who I am and what I do. And that's at the core of what iSwoon is as well. Well, I love it. And I'm so happy for you. And I mean, our listeners, they probably are already in love with you, but if they're not, they will be now because, you know, and also I'd like to say that you can't see Athena but she's strikingly beautiful, but she also has incredible style. She's like the person that runs around in that like gorgeous outfit, like barefoot. And you're like, why does she look so cool like that? Like, you know, so I I think um, I'm just giving people the visuals, but you know, I just think keep doing what you're doing. And my one takeaway for you would be just don't lose sight of what you love. Thank you. Thank you so much. Because sometimes in business, when you're building business, all of a sudden what you love starts getting pushed down and you just catch it. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you don't mind, I'd love to ask you a yeah. question. Yeah, about, of course. You know, you built your business and your brand being a creative and being a stylist and yeah. following your gut and yeah. intuition in a creative space. Mm-hmm. How did you retain yourself as a creative as you became a businesswoman and an entrepreneur and you launched Curator and mm-hmm. like can you speak a little bit about like going from creative to founder yeah. and like how to make sure that you retained a bit of that creative foundation yep. th- that you are built on? Well, okay. So first when I launched my TV show and my books and and the Zoe Report, I was still styling full time. So for me, there was still so much creativity that I was able to project and get out of my system. And Mm -hmm. then in 2011, when I launched my clothing line, that was intended to be a part of my business, not full time. And ultimately what happened is it started when you launch a clothing line, it has to be full time. And as you may know from friends in the business, when you design clothing, about 10% of that is creative and the rest is business. And so I started to realize that while I love to create and design, I like to do that for other people because I like to wear other brands. I like to collect vintage. I like to wear it. And I love, Mm. and by the way, I still wear my own collection probably at least 60% of the time, just because there's things that I created that I love, right? Yeah, Um, But I think along the way, there are those moments where I stopped remembering, I started to, to forget why I loved what I was doing. Because in business, you do get tangled up in it. And especially yeah. when you're the founder CEO, it's like, it's a lot. And there's a lot of people leaning on you. And so I think it's very important to really retain the parts you love the most and try mm. and delegate the parts that suck your time that you may not love as much, but they need to be done. And to me, that was actually the hardest part was finding those magical people to do the parts that I couldn't do anymore, you know, but knew sort of my vision well enough to execute on it with me, if that makes sense. I feel like I'm having a hard time retaining my creative footprint and, um, you know, figuring out what the structure of the business is so that I can get that support and delegate, you know, whether it be a president or, you know, so was it hard for you to pivot? Was it like a tough decision or did it just become very apparent? Do you trust your gut as you're making these shifts? Like it's hard to... No, I mean, I had to stop styling quite honestly because I couldn't find people that I trusted to work for Mm -hmm. me. And I don't use, I don't like to use the word work for me. I like to use the word work with me, but there were just countless people time after time after time that I couldn't trust with my clients. And I realized that my business of styling was not a scalable business because I couldn't be in all the places I needed to be. Uh I had to step away and took a pause. I'm just now ready after, I mean, probably seven years now that I could maybe style again because I miss it, but I miss it in a, in a way that's healthy. Like I would style maybe one or two people now, you know? Um, but again, because I know that I can do that and not have to lean on so many people to help me do that, if that makes sense. And because styling is so, so touch, right. And it's so touch and it's so emotional. And that's always been my approach to it. 
that, and so personal, you know? And so I think that it was impossible to hold on to all of that and all my other businesses. And so I had to really step away from that. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the pivot has to be when you're ready. It has to be when you can, you know, I'm very lucky in that, you know, Roger is my co-CEO and his strengths are my challenges and his challenges are my strengths. And so it works like that. Don't get me wrong. I want to like, you know, hit him with a baseball bat sometimes, but like, (laughs) but, but better him than like a stranger, you know what I mean? That like, you know, but I don't know. I mean, some people would argue they rather it's a stranger. So I think it just depends. But I think for you, it's just hold on to what you love because when you lose that, you're not happy you know? And so that would be like probably my biggest piece of advice for you because you are such a creative mind and such a creative soul. And I I just, business is really not as fun, at least for me. It's not. And, and, you know, it's funny because I have really dear friends that are such successful entrepreneurs that live for it. They want to just start a business. They want to write a business plan. They want to do the model. They want to do whatever and then pass it off. That's the part they love. That's not the part I love. That's not the part. Yeah, no. You know, we love to. Yeah, yeah. The personal aspect of the building and the creative, you know, connection and connectivity with other creative. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I'm definitely in a a huge moment of of growth and building my team and figuring out how, you know, what those next steps are of building and of growth. Um, and it's exciting, but it I just want to, I, I have too. started to realize that I need to make sure I retain that creative footprint that uh, Icewind is built upon. And don't grow too quickly. That's the thing. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that I've learned and also learned from talking to a lot of very successful entrepreneurs is kind of doing one big step at a time and mastering that, and then in a year from now, do the next one, you know? And I'm just using a year as a timeline is just figurative. But, like, I just mean, I think the biggest mistake I've seen with people going from one thing to another or turning a creative into a business is doing, like, five or ten different things at one time and, like, blowing it out. Not in the traditional sense, like, you're trying to do 80 different products necessarily at once, but it's almost like, okay, if you're launching your e-com, right? Like, what does that look like? And let's maybe start in one area rather than doing like eight verticals on your e-com, right? Maybe yeah. do two or three, you know? Yeah, um, and, that's and, great and, and, and win at that first, you know? And own that first. And then when that's crushing it, go to the next vertical, you know? Because I think that's the thing because... I think mine's like yours, mine's like mine, and a lot of our friends, it's like, you want to do this, you want to do this, you can't just do that, you can't, because it's all tied no, together, it's, but it's hard. It's also why I think it's so important to have strategic advisors also, because I am this, like, creative chaos of, like, ideas, yes. and I need somebody to be like, let's Grounding. focus on this. Yes. This is scalable. Yes. This has legs. Yes. This is what sets you apart. Yep. Yes. You know, cut fat. Yes. You know, it's true. It's true. And and don't overstaff. And I think those are probably like sort of the biggest, you know, sort of, I guess, business words of wisdom that I could share with you because it's just, I've seen so much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've seen so much personally, professionally and around me, you know, and I will say like entrepreneurs, I bet there's like entrepreneur 101 book of like the greatest mistakes entrepreneurs make. And I can tell you that like, I know them firsthand from my friends, from, from uber successful people, from myself, from just living it, breathing it, seeing it you know? And there's so Mm -hmm. many things and everyone's like, oh my God, I feel like you never make mistakes. I'm like, oh my God, I made hundreds, like hundreds, (laughs) you know, we all do. But, But it's what takes you to the place that you're going next and also makes you never do that again. Mm-hmm. It's like the little oh, yeah. kid, right? It's I the mean, little I'm kid. learning so much in this past year. Every day. I am so much more well every day. Every day. Every moment. Yes. Every mistake is a moment to grow and expand. Well, thank you. Of course. Thank you so much. No, yeah. I love and adore you. I can't wait to see you this summer. Thanks, well, thanks Rachel. for being on. I love talking to you. I love you. Me I too. love all you do. So congrats you, on Rachel. it all. I feel exactly the same way. And thank you for your generosity and like sharing keep, your process. Keep, and- keep your magic fairy dust wand of making <laughs> things you. prettier all around <laughs> you. you. 
All right, everyone, it's that time in the show when I answer two listener questions. So let's see what we have today. Okay, what internship is best for a college student looking to have a career in fashion? I would say work at a magazine. You will learn everything on the ground real quick. You know, you kind of do everything. So I would say first and foremost, because you really learn like the fashion closet and the styling aspect and the market work. You make the connections, you meet great women and men. But I would say that's the dream if you can work at a magazine. And I think if not, I would say work at a store where you can work in like personal shopping because you learn real quick sort of how to style real women of every shape and size and every style. And I think that's sort of the best training you could possibly get is to work in personal styling. Okay, I saw you make a breakfast pastry on your Instagram the other day. What was it? So I just recently this past weekend, I do make crepes every weekend, which my kids love. I also make something called Dutch Babies, which looks really hard, but it's super easy. And then this past weekend, I made matzo brai, which I haven't made in a while, which is basically like, it's almost like matzah French toast. It's sort of like super easy. You soak five sheets of matzah. I'm going to give you the recipe real quick. You soak five sheets of matzah. You run them under cold water just to soften them a little, put them in a bowl, add a cup of milk, three eggs or two eggs, vanilla, two tablespoons of sugar, and cinnamon, lots of cinnamon. You pour the liquid batter over the matzah and you pour it into a big frying pan and just kind of cook it in almost like a pie. And then when one side is cooked and brown, flip the whole thing over and brown the other side like a giant pancake. And it is just delicious. Don't forget to submit your questions for next week's episode. All you have to do is DM us your questions to at Climbing in Heels pod on Instagram. And I just might answer them. Thank you so much to my friend Athena for coming on the podcast. I loved hearing Athena talk about really developing herself in the safety of her home and really just sort of becoming this homemaker and finding peace after she became a mom. She was traveling all over the world with her husband, who was a DJ. She was very young. She had really tried and, in her opinion, really failed at multiple things and really struggled to find her creative happy place and her real thing, you know, that she could really own and develop and find her peace and happiness. And it really came to her later after she became a mom. And so many people say you can't have a career while you're a young mom or you can't, you know, once you have your kid, you can't start your career. And I think that one of the most important things that you know, we talk about, and I think we've had a few conversations thus far on Climbing in Heels with women who really suffered in their lives by not having that full educational experience, not going to college and having that sort of box unchecked and how empty that made them feel and how insecure that made them feel for so many years. And that, honestly, it really like hurts me. Like I, cause I feel like I really wanna destigmatize that. I really wanna keep continuing the conversation because everyone's educated in different ways. And I think the more we talk about it, the less uncomfortable it becomes for women to just feel like, you know, trust me when I tell you, when you find your career path, you're educated very quickly. So if you want more Climbing in Heels content, follow me on at Rachel Zoe and at Climbing in Heels pod on Instagram for more updates and upcoming guests, episodes, and all things Curator. I will see you all next week. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.